Welcome back to Cargumentative. I'm your host, Thomas Faulkner from the Sunday Times and Times Live Motoring. And I'm joined today back in the virtual studio with uh, Dennis Dropper from BD Motor News and young Brenwin Nadu from the Sowetan and also Sunday Times Motoring. Gentlemen, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you, Thomas. Uh, back in the virtual studio, although I am actually talking to you from our real office in Parktown. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Excellent. Well, Dennis, you're one of the brave ones. Brenwin, where are you uh, joining yeah, us? Yeah. No, Thomas, I, I'm I'm from the uh, the relative safety of my uh, well, my bedroom. Now I had to move from the kitchen because the washing machine was making uh, quite a racket. Um, but I'm in good spirits and uh, yeah, happy to be back in studio with uh, you and Dennis. It's uh, it's been a while, Dennis. You weren't with us last week, but uh, you're back joining us now. So. Um, What's been happening on your side? Anything interesting? Things are starting to get into gear again in the motoring world. And uh, in particular, it's the clash of the Teutons that's happening. Mm. Uh, in the same week, Mercedes launched its updated uh, E63 and BMW its upgraded M5. So nothing has changed power-wise, but they've decided that they needed a little bit of facelifting and uh, up updating here and there. So if I get to the Mercedes-AMG E63S, which is the only one that we have in this country, we don't have the milder version. And when I say mild, it's still 400 kilowatts plus. <laughs> so the most obvious change on the vehicle is that it's got that uh, vertically slatted Panamericana grill, which uh, is becoming the which is coming the look for all AMG models. So it just looks a bit more aggressive, I think, because of that. And it's got the, the black wheels and it's also got this blacked up package. So as I said before, the power doesn't change, but then it hardly needed to. It's got a four liter twin turbo V8 with 450 kilowatts and 850 newton meters, which I'm sure most people will agree is quite sufficient. They've also updated the uh, suspension to give the car a more comfortable ride without blunting its uh, cornering ability. Well, that's, yeah, I mean, um, I was going to say, that's that's um, an interesting thing that they've decided to make the car more comfortable and they've tweaked the suspension accordingly. Uh, and it kind of makes sense to me, you know, because these are cars that uh, probably won't ever be used around a track. So, you know, to enhance their everyday comfort um, on, on poor road surfaces just makes a lot more sense because uh, in, in the past we've seen these these sort of big powerful Uber, um, Uber saloons, they actually struggle to put the power down if the suspension is too hard and too firm. So I think that was a good move by Mercedes. Yeah, you're right, Thomas. I mean, it makes no sense to make these executive German sedans uh, behave like like sports cars, you know, like full-on sports cars, because most of the time they, they get commuted in and every now and then you, you get a chance to play in it. So so the more comfortable the suspension, I think, the better. And exactly. as I say, Mercedes, Mercedes says that it hasn't blunted the cornering ability. Mm. And much the same applies over in Munich, which uh, has just updated its M5. Once again, uh, we, we will only get a competition version, a more powerful one, because that's what South Africans tend to like. So all 460 kilowatts and 750 newton meters of it, and all to 103.4 seconds and a top speed of over 300, so all those nice things. And uh, much like the Mercedes, it's, it's also gotten a, a slightly 
upgraded uh, suspension for, for a better ride quality and a uh, bit of a facelift uh, just to just to reestablish some kind of market interest now that we're slowly coming out of this uh, this lockdown and people are ready to buy their high performance toys again yeah look i mean um both these cars tremendous power uh, tremendous speed um which one would you choose <laughs> I suspected you were going to ask that one. <laughs> you know what? For for actual sheer presence, yeah, I would probably go for the E sixty three because mm. I just really like the Panamericana grill and yeah. and the picture I'm looking at right now with all the blacked up wheels and everything. It just looks great. But having said that, I I really love that M five competition and we actually had one. We had uh, the previous generation one on long-term test and I mean it's a great car so it's it's really tough for me to say I think just for the for the looks I would probably edge towards the Mercedes mm, that's a tough one huh? that's a tough one I mean I'd probably go for the Merc as well uh, Brenwin if somebody uh, offered you one of these cars I think uh, hands down for me the, uh, the BMW M5 I um yeah, I think it just, I remember testing the, uh, the competition and, um, you know, doing one of those cool features where we introduced it to its forebears and driving the lineage. And, you know, that the new M5 feels like such a complete car. And I actually found the ride quality of the, uh, the E63 to be just a bit on the harsh side, funnily enough. Um, yeah, I'd go with the M5 hands down. Interesting. Interesting. And um, what else has been on your radar? Anything, uh, anything notable to report in terms of yeah, well, uh, I mean, car news? I want to I wanna talk about something that South Africans just love, and that is uh, a bucky. South Africans love a good bucky. Oh, they do. Um, they love a good bucky. <laughs> oh, they really do. So the outgoing Mazda BT50 uh, seemed to be forever stuck in the shadow of the Ford Ranger, to which it owed most of its makeup. And perhaps now in the in this latest uh, guise of the, the pickup, which was announced last week, it will have an opportunity to maybe shine in its own right. That said, there is a relation we need to mention. The new BT50 shares its DNA with the next generation Suzu D-Max, uh, which is by no means a bad thing. I think you guys will agree. I mean, the latter is, after all, quite highly regarded in the category, uh, especially in terms of its reputation for durability. The Mazda will, of course, benefit from an extra dollop of style. Uh, it's got all that soul of motion and Kodo influence uh, that's been translated into this double cab body template. And inside, its makers say that occupants will revel in an atmosphere with a premium character. I mean, it certainly looks promising in the images with the potential of sophisticated embellishments, plush upholstery, and a button festoon center stack punctuated by a color screen, which we all, I mean, which is just simply a prerequisite to 2020 in cars in 2020. Um, Mazda SA said they haven't yet pinned down timing for the local launch. I think uh, like other manufacturers, you know, everything's really up in the air at this point with, with COVID. But yeah, looks promising and I can't wait to drive it. It does. I mean, do you think it'll it'll be able to hold a candle sales-wise with, uh, you know, against the, the Hilux and the Ranger um, and the Amarok, Dennis? Uh, it has struggled in terms of its outright sales, but I think that had a lot to do with the, the fact that it was getting older and the, and the styling was never quite there. The, mm. the new one looks a lot better. It does. It does look a lot better. 
Well, I guess time will tell um, when it does come out. Um, it'll be interesting to drive it and it'll be interesting to see how it uh, fares out there on the market. Um, moving from real cars, I'm going to segue into uh, the virtual realm. I don't know if you guys saw uh, this morning, uh, Ford has announced that they're going to be hosting a uh, Gran Turismo sport competition. Um, it's called Hashtag lockdown laps powered by Ford performance. Um, and it's, it's, it's quite a cool thing. It's going to go on for from the 29th of June until the 1st of August. And it's basically a, uh, a chance for sim races to compete against each other online, uh, using uh, Ford vehicles, of course. Um, and they're going to be a whole host of really cool prizes up for grabs. Um, so yeah, qualifying opens next, well, on Monday coming up. So, uh, yeah, the 29th. And um, depending on your time, you get pooled into different groups, um, you know, so that, that the racing is fair um, and competitive. So that's that's something to look forward to. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but uh, during lockdown, I've fallen down the sim racing rabbit hole, um, managed to get a PlayStation and a rig and, um, you know, a copy of Gran Turismo Sport. And it's, it's been keeping me busy at night. Um, so are you entering this Ford competition, Thomas? I am indeed, Dennis. Um, you know, as we know, like in the real world, I do race a classic uh, Ford Mustang and I've, I've adapted that, that car's livery onto some of the newer Mustangs available in the game. So I'm going to be taking part in it and it's going to be my first um, sim racing competition that I've ever entered. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how I fare. I, I don't have high hopes, you know, because I'm a sim racing rookie but uh yeah i'm going to give it a bash and see how far i can go well that will be something exciting for us to watch then exactly yeah so um, is, you know, is it a spectator sport can somebody else just watch it or do you have to participate no you can you can you can um if you've got gran turismo look i mean as i as i said i'm a complete noob to this but uh, if you've got a copy of gran turismo sport you can enter the lobbies and you can watch what's happening without taking part um, you can also get, I think via Twitch, you can get a Twitch account and then you can broadcast live your racing exploits. Um, so I need to look into that. Um, I need to speak to some experts and uh, I'll hopefully get that going so people can tune in and uh, watch me do my thing and hopefully not come stone last, which would be, which would be nice. Awesome. Well, all the best for that, Thomas. Mm. Brenwin, thanks. I think that's it for news, guys. Um, we've running out of time. So we're going to take a quick break and uh, we'll be back with um, what we've been driving. is filled with flavor. But you know that or who secured the latest bag. Or just who's dripping with sauce. And who's adding the spice. Because if it's hot, then it's definitely in the cheese pot. Welcome back to Cargumentative. Guys, it's that time of the show where we uh, discuss what you've been driving. And uh, Brenwin, you've been driving a car that, that I haven't driven yet. I know Dennis has. Um, and it's the all-new Toyota Corolla sedan. 
Yes, indeed. Um, well, I finally got a turn in this dashing new Toyota Corolla sedan, and I can tell you that uh, this is not Granddad's Corolla. In fact, my granddad actually had a brown Corolla station wagon back in the day. So, nice. <laughs> this new Corolla was was pretty much what I expected. Pleasant all round. Um, we can all agree that it just looks fantastic. The Corolla is certainly no longer a wallflower. It is now a scarlet pimpernel, and it smuggled me rather comfortably into the borders of Heidelberg uh, last week on my test drive. But it would have been nice if it had the um, the turbocharged engine from its hatchback counterpart. Uh, instead, you get a normally aspirated four-cylinder petrol with a two-liter displacement. It is paired with a six-speed manual, and the output on paper is 125 kilowatts and 200 newton meters. The XR model grade I drove was impressively equipped. Uh, it even had adaptive cruise control and a steering assistant that gives just a gentle nudge back on course if you stray towards the lines of the road. It costs 420,500 rand, but the entry-level model kicks off at 380,200 rand. And I think it's a good choice if you're the kind of buyer who doesn't want uh, an SUV or a crossover, which you can have for the same money. It's a good-looking car, that. Um, I must say, I, I, I have to agree with you that, that Toyota have really come to the party in terms of um, exterior styling. And I kind of, one gets the feeling that, that we're starting to get the looks um, of that American Camry which is quite a good looking car that's starting to filter down, uh, into, into the, into the Corolla sedan. Um, and you had the, the, the two liter, uh, the, the two liter naturally aspirated engine, right? That's right. The two liter XR. With the manual gearbox. With the manual gearbox. Um, my consumption throughout the week, yeah. and I, I did about 400 odd kilometers was in the region of 9.8. Um, okay. so a bit heavy. Yeah, it seems odd to me that they didn't that that they that, that they're not offering this car with the uh, the turbo engine that you get in the sedan. I mean, in the in the hatchback. Um, to me, that would be it would be a good engine to offer because uh, you're getting probably better consumption um, and better torque. Um, I don't know. It's it's a strange one. Dennis, you had that car. Uh, on test, what did you think about it? I did, Thomas. I had the auto version, and I also mm -hmm. found uh, that it was a little bit thirsty. I used mm -hmm. slightly less than Brenwin, uh, just under nine liters per hundred, but a long way from the promised six liters per hundred. Um, and generally, I was impressed. I mean, the, the CVT transmission isn't my favorite necessarily. It drones mm -hmm. less than others of its ilk, but there is still some droning. But fortunately, you do have a manual mode with uh, pedals on the steering wheel, and you can overcome that, and it, you know, shift gears normally. Mm. But other than that, as as you've already mentioned, the, the looks have certainly come uh, come right. It's always been a dull but dependable car, and now there's a mm. little bit of aspirational value in the in the looks. Uh, the engine is in that zone between sort of being pedestrian and, and exciting. It's neither here nor there, but it's just a perky commuter. It's, uh, it's a lot smoother than the previous generation cars. So it's, it's uh, got a nice grown-up feel to it. As mm. I said, the only thing that I really had against it was the rather high fuel consumption. And I'm in agreement with you there that maybe that 1.2 turbo needs to find a home in the sedan. Yeah, definitely. I think it, it definitely has to do, uh, I mean, to average, you know, just over nine or just under nine is, is quite, 
a lot in the car like that, um, especially in 2020, where you could probably get it down. I mean, geez, I had that 1.2 in the in the CHR a couple of months ago, and I think I was averaging in the sevens, you know, and that's a, a bigger car than a Corolla. I would love to see the, uh, I mean, this is not going to happen, but the return of the uh, the diesel. That previous gen Corolla 1.4 diesel was a fantastic car, and I think Tom will, will agree there. Absolutely. I mean, it's yeah, it's kind of sad that that engine is no longer uh, because you got really good fuel consumption. Uh, you had that nice, easy torque. And uh, Brenman, you were able to drive that car uh, down to Cape Town on a, on a single tank, right? Yeah. Look, gentlemen, I try not to, to bring that story up anymore because I feel like I've just yeah. been... <laughs> I think that's sort of like my claim to fame in the industry that I once drove up. <laughs> but it did happen, though. It did happen. It's real. And it was great. And I'll never forget that. Yeah. <laughs> What a thing, especially now, you know, to get down to Cape yeah. Town on a single tank of diesel. Um, what a treat. Um, moving on from the Corolla, because we have to. Dennis, you've been driving um, a BMW powered by diesel, uh, 330D. That's right, yes. And to me, this is the Goldilocks version of the 3 mm. Series range. I mean, I, I've joined the M340i and also the 320D, both great cars. But if I had to choose one, myself it would be the 330d it is just that perfect combination of performance refinement and fuel consumption and uh i just i just thought it was a terrific vehicle all around and uh you know we were were moaning about the corolla using Mm. about nine liters per hundred in this in this larger uh, much more powerful executive sedan i average 6.9 liters per hundred that's incredible Wow. And uh, talk to us about performance. Did you get a chance to do some performance testing on this on this Beamer? I didn't put it uh, uh, up against the V-Box at, mm. uh, at reef altitude, but uh, it is claimed to take just 5.5 seconds uh, from 0 to 100. So that's pretty impressive. I mean, that would have been considered the proper sports car ranks just a couple of years ago. Exactly. And, and the nice thing about it is how the how this power is produced. So there's no lag. It's just mm. easy going and it's, it's so smooth, you know, and unless somebody tells you it's a diesel, you'd be hard pressed to know that you're actually listening to a diesel. So any kind of agricultural feel has been completely just massaged out of it. And Absolutely. yeah, it's, it's a car yeah. with great finesse, great ride quality. So it just every, does everything so well. And it's kind of got the market segment cornered because uh, the Mercedes C-Class and Audi A4, they don't have such powerful diesels. Mm. So it's only real rivals are much thirstier petrol versions in a similar kind of uh, price range. It's always been a good car that, I mean, I haven't driven a 330D in ages, but I remember taking one, oh, this is a while back, uh, possibly like 20, oh, two, two, 2009, 2010 maybe, uh, up uh, to Sabi and, you know, I went up on Long Tom Pass and that, and it was, it was such a good car because as you said, um, it's incredibly frugal, but you've got the performance so you can enjoy it without having to worry about, you know, filling up the tank all the time, comfortable, refined, um, really good car. And in terms of pricing, Dennis, how much, how much is that car going for now? Well, that's going for... The princely sum of eight hundred and eighty-three thousand five hundred rand, okay. which is uh, 
which is not cheap, certainly. No. But if you're looking at if you're looking at the M340i, mm. that's just over a million rand, and and the Mercedes AMG C43, which is also a petrol version, but like I said, there aren't other diesels in in WhatsApp, and that's also just over a million. So oh. in terms of the price per kilowatt and uh, with a fuel consumption thrown in, I think this is it's quite a good buy at the price. If I had that kind of money, it would definitely be my first choice, um, you know, out of those other cars that you mentioned. Um, and it seems like a shame that that a lot of the manufacturers out there are now starting to shed their, their performance diesels, um, you know, obviously because of the whole diesel gate thing uh, that hasn't been kind to oil burners. Um, so it seems like these cars might be something of a, of a dying breed. I think you're right. There's quite a negative vibe towards diesels now because of diesel gate, as you say. Mm. And everybody's going to, to hybrids, plug-in hybrids, and eventually electric vehicles. But I'm glad yeah. that for now we still have these kind of vehicles around. And as I say, that would be my choice in that three-series range. Absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, I agree with you on that one. Um, I haven't been driving a diesel. I haven't been driving anything German. Um, I've been driving a Japanese um, warm warm hatch, I suppose you could call it. Uh, and that's the, the Suzuki Swift Sport. Um, it was launched last year in South Africa. I drove the manual uh, on launch. They had it at Red Star Raceway and I did some, some hot laps in it. Was very impressed, um, but it's always different driving a car on track um, as opposed to driving it on rig in the streets. And uh, I must say, I was very impressed with how the little Swift Sport performed. Um, you know, it's a it's a car that that is fast, uh, but still engaging. You know, a lot of these hot hatchbacks, the limits have become so high that you have to drive them so fast in order to feel part of the driving experience. And I think the the Swift Sport is still at a level where you can access all of that power all of the time. Um, so from that point of view, it's a, it's a very engaging little car uh, in 2020. Well-equipped, comes with everything you want. Apple CarPlay, you know, so you can stream your favorite podcasts like our show. It's a very nice, complete package. The auto, the automatic gearbox, though, wouldn't be my first choice. I think um, from a, a daily commuting point of view, it's fine. But as soon as you start tapping into the, the performance potential of the Swift Sport, uh, you know, it, it feels somewhat limiting. Um, there were times where it wouldn't allow you to, to, to change up or change down. And then if you did change up early, it would change it back down to a gear. Um, there's a lot of electro nannying uh, in the software, and I don't think it's it's as good as it could be. So at this stage, I'd be inclined to take the manual. Yeah, of course, the manual is also 20,000 Rand cheaper, so it's a exactly. win-win situation. I'm with you there on the manual with a, with a car like that because mm. it's got that kind of cheeky, nippy character, and you want to push it a little bit. So it's, a, so it's not really – I mean, that is – it is a car you can commute with. What I'm saying is that it just commutes with such fun and you feel like you want to drive it, not just point it. Exactly. I mean, you feel part of the car. Um, and as I said before, I mean, that's something that's, um, that's kind of 
falling by the wayside um, in modern vehicles where they've become so aloof thanks to technology and, you know, insulation um, that, that you, 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 that you kind of really feel part of the driving experience. Um, and that's where the Swift still shines. Um, I drove it a lot. Um, I took it out to Michalisburg and beyond and really gave it a good thrashing. And what also surprised me was the, the fuel consumption. Um, you know, I did over 300 kilometers in a couple of days and I was averaging 7.8. Um, and a lot of that driving was hard driving, you know, flat out, um, exploiting the car. So not only is it fun, it, it's affordable fun. And that's, that's important. Yeah, for sure. Last year, um, on assignment mm. for my colleagues at Ignition TV, we took the, the Swift Sport and uh, the Abarth 5.952 Red Star Raceway for a little showdown. Mm. I, think, um, I think it was a foregone conclusion, uh, primarily because the Swift costs, well, like well over 100,000 Rand less than the Abarth. Mm. Um, of course, Rumia um, and quicker, even though on paper it had the, the lesser out, mm. the far more pleasant car. And the manual, I mean, it's a, it's, it's, it's a nice gearbox, although I felt as though the shifts could have had a more sort of direct quality to it. It could have been the unit that we had, but they did sort of uh, air on the on the sloppy side. Yeah, well, look, I mean, I mean, that yeah, Abarth well, is, 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 is not a particularly good car. And I, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I just can't believe how much they charge for, for that thing. Um, it, it's, it, you know, it feels outdated, horrible gearbox, makes a lot of noise, not particularly fast, terrible seats. Uh, uh, yeah, I actually hated that car, to, to, to be honest with you. Um, I know you're not a big fan of that Abarth. I'm not at all. I'm not at all. So yeah, Suzuki Swift Sport, very impressive. Great little drive this car. If you're looking for something uh, that's 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 fun and affordable, I think that's all we have time for in this section, guys. So uh, we're gonna have a quick break, and we'll be back with you guys shortly. Join me, Nicole Engelbrecht, your host on True Crime South Africa, a weekly podcast that covers both solved and unsolved South African true crime cases. Welcome back to Cargumentative. Now, as we all know, lockdown is easing and uh, regular life seems to be, uh, you know, getting back up to speed um, and people will be buying cars again. And uh, a good way to purchase a vehicle is through an auction. And Dennis, you told me that uh, you're working on a piece um, that kind of, you know, tells people a little bit more about car auctions and, you know, what to look out for and, and how to behave. That's right, Thomas. Well, obviously, COVID-19 lockdown has been economically devastating, forcing many consumers to seek cheaper cars. So auctions are one way that buyers could score a good bargain. You, I mean, you could pick up a vehicle a lot cheaper than buying it from a dealer because auctions are after all where many car dealers source their stock before marking up the price and selling it to you. So in effect, by going to the auction yourself, you're taking out the middle man. But an educated consumer is a happy consumer. 
So if you have no previous experience in bidding, it's a good idea to arm yourself with some knowledge before going. So uh, at the moment, car auctions are being conducted online, um, but you still are able to go and have a look at the vehicles. So you can't test drive them. That's always been in the, one of the auction rules, but you can go and uh, start the car and play with the controls and make sure that it's not spewing oil and things like that. Mm. So, yeah, the, in, in Motor News this week, we're just publishing a piece of giving people some advice on what to do. And, and the, main, the main advice we can give is just that make sure that you know what you're buying. Get as much of the vehicle history as you possibly can so that you're not going to end up buying a lemon. Because the one, exactly. the one major part of buying on the auction is that the cars are footstuds, which means as is. So auctions don't conform to the Consumer Protection Act in the same way as, as when you're buying from a car dealer. So as long as the auction house has told you, look, this is where the car comes from, this is where it's been, you buy it, that car becomes your problem. Interesting. Okay, so you mentioned that... Um in terms of uh, test driving, you're not you're not really you you you, you don't get that hands-on you know field that you that you would do if you went to a car dealership. Correct, and then that's partly the reason why you are mm. paying that markup that, that the dealers you know putting on it because they've presumably gone through the car's history and may made sure that it's all in good nick. Although that's not always the case. As no. Brenwin's uh, consumer clinics will tell you. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Okay, interesting. Well, that that's a that is a, a very uh, important thing to take into consideration. Um, you know, because you don't want to pay a, pay the cash and then find you've got something that is in need of repair or has a, a major problem. So yeah, um, and that article is coming out in Business Day Motor News this Thursday. That's correct, yeah, the 25th of June. Okay, well, that's something to definitely look out for. Moving on from auctions, Brenwin, yes. anything, um, anything anything happening on your side in the future yeah. that's worth knowing about? Just, uh, just, just two quick things on my uh, on my radar. Tomorrow I'm taking my uh, the long-term VW Polo GTI into the dealership for an inspection. I'm going to leave it there because it's been squeaking and sort of, making some really interesting mice-like sounds that have been emanating from the rear of the cabin, which I mentioned in my update previously. Get yeah. that checked out. And then I'm going to type up a listicle on the best-selling used sport utility vehicles under 200,000 Rand and with less than 100,000 pairs on the odometer. So I think between that great piece on auctions and, and this shortlist, buyers will be suitably equipped to make some good purchasing decisions. Well, Brenman, those are definitely worth looking out for as well. Uh, from my side, I'm going to be doing a uh, journey into the world of electric cars and, and basically looking at um, if they really are as green as people say they are or think they are, uh, you know, going into the manufacturing process, uh, the the mining practice that that uh, uh, is involved in in mining all the, the minerals that that we need for making them and the battery packs and so that's going to be quite a an interesting one. Um, there's a lot to consider when it comes to electric vehicles, um, and then other than that, just brushing up on my uh, GT Sport skills because uh, you know as I mentioned before, uh, Ford's got this. Uh, it's a challenge that's going to be happening um, from next week onwards. And yeah, keen to 
try and do well in that. Listen, guys, we're out of time. Uh, thanks again for joining me in the virtual studio uh, again. Sound quality is not the greatest, guys. We apologize, but um, yeah. So from me, Thomas Faulkner, thanks for joining us again on the show. Uh, Dennis Brenwin, thanks for, for coming along. Tune in again next week. We'll be back with another episode of Cargumentative. Until then, stay safe.